How many of you, before you go somewhere to eat, you look on the website, you're looking at the menu. How many of you are menu, uh, menu lookers? Raise your hand. Don't be shy. All right, your menu lookers beforehand. Um, anybody go to like experiences? You're like, I'm going to find out everything I need to know. You, I'll call you guys researchers, right? You're researchers. You're not just going to go somewhere and do something. You're going to find out everything there is to know about that place. And so oftentimes you go on websites of different places and they'll have frequently asked questions. We don't put those on our church website. You want to know why? Because every church says the same thing. Frequently asked questions, what do I have to wear when I come there? Like any church is going to be like, you must wear a black suit, white shirt, and a red tie. You know what I mean? No one's going to put that. So we don't put it because go to some other church's website and it'll tell you what you can wear here. But um, frequently asked questions. Jesus experienced frequently asked questions. In this book of Mark that we have studied through, we have seen many of them. There are some, some key truths to these questions. Many of them come from uh, a heart of insincerity. Um, many of them come with an angle. And I don't know if you've been in that situation. I don't know if you've ever been asked a question and you want to you reply with, what are you really asking me? This seems like a very angled question. There seems to be something behind this question. And Jesus experienced that. This Sunday and next Sunday, I'm going to get through the, the more difficult questions today. Next Sunday is going to be a great one, um, an easy one. But frequently asked questions, F-A-Qs. That's the title of today's message. Jesus finds himself... In the last week of his life, going through, already experiencing some, some major things, but he's about to experience even more. This is a big, jam-packed day that lasts from the end of Mark 11 and goes into Mark 13, this one day of his last week. And him being questioned is a part of that. If you remember the last couple of uh, sermon series, uh, sermon, sermons in this series, Jesus confronts the religious leaders, and as a result, they sought to lay hands on him. Mark 12, verse 12 says, they were ready to come after him. He was a marked man, and certainly his detractors were plotting his demise, his spiritual demise, his cultural demise, his physical demise. And so we come to today's text where Jesus experiences questions. As we mentioned, by the way, that's, we're trying to heat up that lobby out there. If you smell something a little weird, we turn this one off over here. It's all good. But we're, we're doing our best to, to heat up as much as possible here. But these questions did not come from a place of sincerity. There was an agenda. There was always a plan to either back Jesus into a corner or to get Jesus to say something that would in turn incite a mob to have him ultimately destroyed. We know that this comes from a place of power-hungry leaders within the church in Jerusalem at that time that wanted to keep their power. And they knew they saw Jesus as a threat. They saw him as a threat physically. They saw him as a threat spiritually. He was a threat to everything that they had worked to achieve, and that was power uh, within the church and the ability to tell people right from wrong, the ability to speak on behalf of God. Before we jump into our text this morning, can we pray together? 
that God would lead us through these frequently asked questions. Heavenly Father, speak through your word. We know that you have magnified your word. And God, we pray today that that your word would shine through whatever is going on in our hearts and our lives and that we would not just learn something today, but it would be something that we could take with us and we would actually keep uh, in our minds and our hearts as we move forward in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. These questions, these questions. Today we're really going to look at two questions. I'm gonna, it's going to kind of piggyback into a third, but really it's two questions. I want us to see, first of all, what about... Obeying the government. Oh, y'all didn't notice what we're going to talk about today, did you? I didn't, you know what I'm saying? I just preach what's next. So here we go. What about obeying the government? Man, here we are in 2021. By the way, it's about to be over. We're about to be in 2022. I saw someone's meme. It was probably Cassie's. I'm not sure. But I saw some meme that said me trying to get over 2020, realizing that 2022 is like 35 days away. So 2021 has been like kind of an interesting year. But what about obeying the government? Speaking freely and honestly in our, in our country, over the last two years, we've gone through a presidential change from kind of one side to the other, which happens often in our country's history. And so today's, this question that we're going to deal with today has nothing to do with the current climate per se. If we want to look at current climate, we can look at current climate over the last 20 years. Um. But what about obeying the government? What does the Bible say? What did Jesus say when he was confronted with this question? Can we look in the text this morning? In Mark chapter 12 and verse 13, if you have your Bibles, follow along. If not, it's going to be on the screen for you. Mark chapter 12, look at verse 13. Then they sent to him some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to catch him in his words. When they had come, they said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and care about no one, for you do not regard the person of men, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Right there, and we'll mention it, they want to paint him into a yes or no answer. By the way, beware of the questions like that. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Verse 15, shall we pay or shall we not pay? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, Why do you test me? Bring me a denarius that I may see it. So they, that was the, the currency of the day. So they brought it and he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus answered and said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Jesus, should we pay taxes? Should we obey this mandate of tax census that is given by the government? Especially if we disagree with our government's policies. We find ourselves oppressed by the authority of our government. As the Jews did, that's a wonderful question and one that Jesus addresses here. And may I say this this morning, as kindly as I know how, in our lifetime, we have not been under oppression by our government. As kindly as I can say that, I'd like to say that. It's actually a slap into the, in the face 
of people all over the world who really are being oppressed for their faith and by their government when we want to act like what's going on in our country over the last few years is truly oppression. Now, have things tightened up in certain areas in our country that used to be not so tight? Absolutely. Are things a little bit different now in 2021 than they were, say, in 1997? Absolutely. And there's a wide variety of things. And you have your opinions, I'm sure, about why that is. But all I'm saying is some perspective this morning. As we, as we look at the text sometimes through American eyes, may, may, we not, may we not see things that aren't there, right? May we not create things that really should not be created. May we keep a proper perspective as we look at scripture but this question was a complex question it was not a simple question Jesus in verse 15 calls out their hypocrisy they were not asking this question because they really wanted to know we need to understand this they were not asking this question because they really wanted to know what Jesus thought about them paying their taxes that's not what they wanted They asked the question because they thought no matter what his answer was, yes or no, there would be repercussions on Jesus because of what he said. So Jesus obviously knows that and he replies like only he can. And what was the real issue here? The issue here was that the Roman government required a tax, a census tax that had to be paid. Obviously the Jews despised that because it reminded them that they were under the rule of the Roman Empire at the time. So if Jesus said to pay the tax, he would be deemed a a, a traitor by the Jews. Hey, why don't you stand with us? If he said not to pay the tax, he would be deemed a traitor by the Romans. And then they would arrest him. So like most yes or no questions that Jesus has pushed into, he does not reply with a simple yes or no. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And to God, the things that are God's. That's quite the answer. By this reply, Jesus acknowledges the legitimacy of human government. He was not an anarchist. He ordained government. It has a right to require taxes. And and we should honor that. In fact, several other New Testament texts would affirm this. Romans 13 1 Timothy 2, 1 Peter 2, you can look them up on your own. But New Testament texts confirm this. So we are to render to Caesar that which is Caesar's. All of us get tax bills in the mail. My favorite, least favorite tax bill that I get, because I'm never ready for it, I never really know when it's coming, is vehicle tax for some reason. I'm like, what is this mail? And I don't want it and can't stand it. And then you gotta go, you can't just pay it. I mean, you gotta get the tags and the, oh, anyway. And then I moved into a state, the state of Maryland. And Maryland, let me tell you something. If you can, if you ever complain about living in the state of North Carolina, go to a state where they're like New York City. They're taxing you for like the wrong kind of trash bags out on the street. Get taxed for everything. Rain tax. Wasn't that one? I think in Maryland there's a rain tax. What in the world? And while sometimes we can poke fun and laugh, at the end of the day, what Scripture teaches us is that human government is ordained of God. It was created and it was a part of culture. And we should render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. 
Listen, this morning, and this, this isn't, I mean, I know this isn't good Sunday morning preaching, but this morning we all drove here on roads that had to get put in. Hey, thank God at the intersections that you went through, there were stoplights. You all got here safely. Thank the Lord today that if you had to drive on the interstate that, you know, by the way, if the interstate has potholes in it, we're going to complain about that, right? So I'm not here to, I'm here to say we need to understand that the government plays a role in what we do and, and it takes money to do. Now, can we spend the money a little bit better? Hey, possibly. Let your voice be heard to sit in the voting, but let your voice be heard, whatever you think. Yes, vote locally, vote statewide, vote federally, do what you got to do. Let your voice be heard, it's fine. But at the end of the day, we understand that the country in which we live, there are operating costs and there are things that must be paid for and that's what the taxes take care of. And at the end of the day, I'm glad that I drove here on paved roads from my house. I'm excited about that. It's awesome. I'm really glad that when I have to go renew my license that there's somebody working there and I can actually, now, I, you know, they're there and, uh, and, and they're, I think they want to help me. But, here's the complexity of the answer. We are to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. But to God, the things that are God's. If this coin had an image of Caesar on it, as the text said, and that coin belonged to Caesar, then how much more do we in our lives, which bear the image of God, belong to God? And just as we are to render or give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, Jesus is teaching an overarching lesson here that you bear the image of God. And you should give to God the things that are God's. He's implying here your lives. He's implying here your being. Everything about you. I believe if we take scripture in, in full context here, I believe Peter and John as is displayed in Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5, I believe that the Bible as a whole in context teaches us that we should render to Caesar and give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's as long as it does not directly conflict with us rendering to God the things that are God. Just how do you know that? Well, in Acts chapter 4 and in Acts chapter 5, we hear the statement from Peter and John that we must obey God rather than men. They were told to stop preaching the gospel. They were told they were going to be punished and put in prison. And they said, listen, you can tell us all you want to. We're going to get up tomorrow morning and we're going to go out there and we're going to preach the gospel. The book of Daniel, I believe, shows this. Hey, listen, if you continue doing what you're doing, you continue praying, you will be put to death. And what does Daniel do? He gets up the next day and he prays. I believe the complexity of this answer is, in our own consciences, guided by the Holy Spirit, we must come to grips with what does God tell me to do versus what does man tell me to do. And when those things conflict, I and my spirit have to know what God tells me to do and deal with it properly. This isn't a free pass to do whatever we want to do. This is, I believe, it's God-honoring. It's being spirit-led, saying, I want to follow what God tells me to do and what he tells me not to do. And I want to honor what he endorsed in our society, human government. And I've got to figure out a way to walk down this road, pleasing God and rendering to Caesar. And let's be honest, that's difficult. 
sometimes. But I just think about being in the country that we are in currently and understanding that I've got to make a decision about this for this situation in America and thinking that I have brothers and sisters in Christ who on their Sunday morning had to say, I'm being told not to gather and worship Jesus, but I'm going to gather anyway. I know what could happen, yet I'm going to render to God the things that are God's. I'm going to give some practical applications at the end, so I'm going to not do that now. So let's just take that for what it is, informative. We'll practically apply more at the end, but what about obeying the government? You thought that one was strange. Let's look at the second one. What about spouses at the resurrection, man? This is one of those, dear pastor, I'd like to meet with you. I got a couple of questions, and you're like, okay. What about, look at verse 18. You ready? Then some Sadducees, insert dad joke. They're so sad, you see. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Then some Sadducees, I'm not funny, guys. You don't need to give me courtesy laugh or anything. I promise. It's all good. There's fair, there's, anyway, okay. Then some Sadducees who say there is no resurrection. It's important. Came to him, and they asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies and leaves his wife behind and leaves no children, his brother should take his wife, his sister-in-law, and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and dying left no offspring. The second took her. He died, nor did he leave any offspring. And the third likewise. So the seven had her and left no offspring. Last of all, the woman died also. What an incredible question. Verse 23. uh, Therefore in the resurrection when they rise, whose wife shall she be? For all seven had her as a wife. Jesus answered and said to them, Are you not therefore mistaken? Because you do not know the scriptures, nor the power of God. I love this answer. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Please don't over-focus on that simple phrase. We don't die and then become the little naked angels with with the bow and arrows. That's not what we... Just... Anyway, it's amazing what scriptures, like three words we pay attention to sometimes. Verse 26, but concerning the dead, that they rise, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the burning bush bush passage, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You are therefore greatly mistaken. Aren't you glad you came this morning? We're going to talk about what happens if a woman, there's kids, if a woman is with seven brothers, has no children, who is she married to when she, in glory one day? What an incredible question. What an incredible question. I could take this two different directions. Certainly I could answer this question literally. I could tell you of the Sadducees' uh, commitment to only the Torah, the first five books of the Bible as truth. I could tell you the details as they denied Jesus' resurrection as well as the resurrection of the saints. 
I could talk about the brother-in-law marriage law, which is real. And it's explained in Deuteronomy 25 if you would like to go look it up. But can we be honest this morning? None of that truly matters to you or to me. At least I hope it doesn't. Those details. What matters to me in this text is that obvious false heretical teaching, teaching of heretics, fueled this question. They didn't care about the marriages. They didn't care about their relationships. They didn't care about relations in the afterlife. No, they asked this question from a cynical view of certainly there is no resurrection. So here's a better question that I believe we need to address this morning. And that's the third one that I apply this text to. What about heretical beliefs? Jesus answered in verse 24 and said to them, Are you not therefore mistaken? Wrong. Because you do not know the scriptures, heretic, nor the power of God. You're not a believer. He handles this one a little bit more aggressively. He comes at them. He concludes it with, You are therefore greatly mistaken. What about heretical beliefs? Jesus, he did answer some of their details correct uh, and tried to address what they were saying, but he saw right through them. Notice he didn't spend a lot of time explaining which of the seven men this lady would be with in heaven one day. He says, listen, when we get into heaven, there's going to be no marriage or remarriage. We're going to all be one in Christ. Hey, look, how many of you are like, praise the Lord, I ain't got to be married in heaven. Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Man. <laughs> Finally, God shall wipe away all tears. There'll be no more pain. No. If your spouse flinched on that one, you feel free to elbow. Your elbow is there for a reason. No, he came after the heretics. And may I say this this morning? Jesus, he could handle a little bit from the Pharisees. He could handle a little bit from the religious leaders. But when there was straight up, we don't believe in the resurrection, denying elements of the gospel that he was giving and that he was bringing forth, he handled it very quickly. He handled it very abruptly. You don't know the Bible. You don't have the Holy Spirit, he says. You are greatly mistaken. Jesus came directly for the heretics. He had no place for them. He had no business with them. He came after them verbally. He came after them as aggressively as he has ever come after anyone. That is, an, that is an important truth that we must understand and we must gather, grasp this morning is that, that Jesus was all about purity when it came to doctrine and purity when it came to beliefs. He was ushering in the New Testament. He was ushering in this, new, this, 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 this portrait of grace that he was painting. And he wasn't doing away and throwing away the portrait of the law. He was taking a, a brush and just painting over that with his love and his mercy and his grace. The law was there as the foundation. 
We must have the law. We must understand our need of a Savior. But he was painting over the picture of the law with his love and his grace and his mercy. And when these Sadducees came in who did not believe the gospel, he went for them aggressively. What are the practical applications this morning? That was a quick uh, dive into our text. But what are the practical applications that we can take? By the way, next week's sermon is awesome. What is the first commandment of all? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Come back next Sunday. I would love to scratch your back and just make you feel so good. It's going to be great. But listen, to be true to the text, here's what we dealt with today. So what are the practical applications that we must live with and we must take from this text? Number one, we should live in submission to our governing authorities when they do not contradict our faith. Plain and simple. We should live in submission to our governing authorities when they do not contradict our faith. I don't know about you, but I have kids at the age that they're backseat drivers. I have kids at the age that say, Dad, the speed limit sign just said 45. Why are you going beep, you know, whatever they say. And, you know, dads, our answer is always, I'm just staying with the flow of traffic. Staying with the flow of traffic. And no, in all honesty, we should live in submission to our governing authorities. That doesn't mean that I'm, that I'm going to sit there if I see you speeding um, down 85 this afternoon. I'm not going to be like, huh, as long as you don't do the same to me. Right? But we ought, we ought to. We ought to have a spirit of that. We ought to have a spirit of submission. And I'll be honest with you. I have a little bit of natural rebellion inside of me. I've explained that to you often. Do not touch. I read that as, Josh, please touch. Speed limit, 55. I read that as minimum speed to not get honked at, 55. That's just my nature. I'm just being, being honest with you this morning. I struggle with that. Can I be straight up really, with you real quick? This, this is like touchy. I'm very, I think I have, no, I got one in my coat pocket. I don't like putting something over my face. Some of you in here are masked one day. I don't know if that's fine. I don't like that. But God knows with my family, I've had to walk in and say, okay, I don't want to. But I will. I don't like that. You say, Josh, and once again, put it in context. We think these are like, we're being oppressed when literally people are being killed for their faith. And we're caring about, can I walk into Belk to buy a $200 outfit the way I want to walk into Belk to buy a $200 outfit? I'm just telling you that to say that I have a natural spirit in me that's like, man, don't tell me what to do. Can you understand how that's difficult in your Christian life? Because the Holy Spirit, he just says, hey, Josh, stop being Josh, I'm not going to yell at you. Just chill, man. It's okay. Stop trying to prove a point. You're fine. Be kind. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and 
patience. Hey, Josh, submit. It's okay. And I need to hear that. You know what I do sometimes? Turn the music up. I can't hear you. I'm going to walk and do my thing. I'm going to go home. Holy Spirit, don't tell me how to interact with my family. I'm doing my thing. I'm going to snap off, pop off. No, I need to submit. And I'll be honest with you. Maybe this is just a little bit of my... It's not even for me. It's not even submitting to my local authorities and my governing powers. To me, it's about submitting to the Spirit. And if I'll submit to the Spirit, hey, man, I'm good. I'm good. We should live in submission to our governing authorities when they do not contradict our faith. Secondly, we should obey God and walk in our faith first. We should obey God and walk in our faith first. I preach this because... If I could put on my predictor, I, I don't think in my lifetime, I don't know that I'm going to need this. But I think anyone five to ten years younger than me and younger than that, there may come a time in this country where you have to make a choice. And I want and I pray that as followers of Jesus, that we will stand and we will walk in our faith first. It doesn't mean we're jerks. By the way, you can stand for what's right with the right spirit and the right attitude. You can do that. But we must develop within ourselves a, 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 a steadfast foundation that we are going to walk in our faith primarily the day that they say behind this pulpit on this stage in this building you cannot preach what this book says is the truth it is that day that I must choose if I'm going to follow my faith first or am I going to render to Caesar that which is Caesar's the day that they say, you can't this portion, but you can this portion, is the day that we must make a decision, are we going to walk in our faith first? Practically this morning, and I think we ought to all ask ourselves those questions. What if we lived in a country today that it was illegal to do what we are doing right now, gathering. Would you be here? Would you be here? Would you be here? It's a question that we all must come to grips with. Thirdly, practically, we should stand firmly against heretical teaching. As your pastor, I am not. I am very friendly theologically, if I can use that terminology. I'm very. What I mean by that, if we opened up a difficult chapter of the Bible and text in the Bible that that has been debated for 
1,500 years? You know what I'm going to say? Hey, listen, this is what I believe it means, and that's, this is the way I interpret it. But I understand for 1,500 years, the church world has been debating this. So I'm very gracious. Hey, listen, if you see it differently than me, that's completely fine. You're my brother, it's all good. You're my sister, it's fine. I feel like that I take a friendly approach to that. However, there are always lines that cross. And what heresy is, it is it is denying the foundational truths of the faith. Now, heresy could be obvious, denying Jesus' deity, denying the virgin birth. Those can be obvious things. And then I believe there can be some secondary things that become heretical that lead to very bad teaching. But may I say this this morning, that when heretical teaching is marked, we need to, we would be wise to heed that and make sure that everything we believe is founded in Scripture. You see, the Sadducees believed a portion of Scripture. They, they rejected the resurrection. Okay? And Jesus called them out on that. In fact, we see throughout the New Testament, in fact, we see Peter and Paul even have not an argument, but Peter and Paul checking one another theologically in the New Testament. Hey, while you're saying this, make sure you, and yeah, while you're saying that, make sure you. The book of James and the book of Galatians. Galatians is all about freedom and the gospel. The book of James is all about, yeah, you got that freedom in the gospel, now what are you going to do about it? Okay? But we must understand what heresy is, and when we spot it, we need to remove ourselves from it. Fourthly, and by the way, if you have a question, you hear a clip online from another pastor, from some celebrity pastor especially, you say, hey, I've got a question about this. This didn't quite hit right with me. What do you think? I'd love, send them to me, please. I'll give you my honest feedback. Fourthly, we should seek to learn more and more theology. We should seek to learn more and more theology. In fact, and Justin, I'll have you throw this up on the screen for me, man. I'm throwing you a little curveball. Starting in January, Aaron is kind of leading out in this. But starting in January, we are going to uh, begin a New Testament teaching series. You got that in the announcements? I think it's in there somewhere. Um, here it comes. New Testament 1. And we're going to dive a little bit deeper into the themes and the teachings of the Gospels. Now we're working on what, what we're going to do is gain, gauge your interest in that. And then we're going to put a schedule together for that. But here's what we want to do. We want to provide an opportunity for you to learn a little bit more. To dig a little bit deeper. How many of you understand on a Sunday morning, I'm not able to dig into the deep depths of Scripture sometimes. But we want to give you that opportunity. Why? Because we should seek to learn more and more theology. What is theology? Theology is the study of God. And it is revealed in His Word. And it is guided by His Spirit. And listen, we ought to crave learning more and more theology. I have found that, that oftentimes people don't want to learn more theology until they're hit in the face with something that the Bible deals with. They're hit in the face with a sickness. And all of a sudden they're going, well, what does the Bible say about healing? 
They're hitting, they're, they're hitting the face with some, uh, with some parenting issue. They have a, a wayward child, and all of a sudden they go, what does the Bible say about parenting? How should I? What does the Bible say about fill in the blank? And oftentimes it's circumstances that push us into that. And may I say we should be proactively craving and desiring to learn more about God. And we do that through his word, guided by his spirit this morning. We should seek to learn more and more theology. God wrote a book, and it's in front of you. And we should learn him by reading his word, by applying it through the Spirit. And then lastly, and we're done today, just to go back to that weird question about seven men, seven brothers, one sister-in-law or wife slash sister-in-law, Here's what I want to practically apply that with, lastly. We should look forward to life after death. Um, you know, you have those uh, dating couples that are like, you know, they just started dating, and they're like, will there be marriage in heaven? Will I, be, will I even know who she is? We ha- I had somebody um, just recently um, in our church family send me a text, say, hey, my, I got someone asking about pets in heaven. Can you explain a little bit about kind of a, a biblical thought process of that? I'll be honest with you. I would have cared less about that until I had a dog a year ago. Now we got a dog. Got to start digging, man. Ellie May, you got to see me over there. And I'm not trying to make light of it, even though that was kind of funny. Here's what I am trying to say. Did you know that there's probably in Scripture probably the least we know about is the afterlife. You know what we do know? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You know what we do know? We do know that there will be a, we'll be in a place where there's no need of sunlight because Jesus is the light. You know what we know? We do know that those who have gone on before We'll be re- reunited with. You say, how, how deeply will we know them? I have no idea. All I know is this. What happens after here, for those of us that have believed in Jesus, is incredible. It's awesome. I can't tell you all the details. Because scripture doesn't. Listen, Christian songwriters have told you more than what the Bible tells you sometimes about what they think is going to be in heaven one day. But all I can tell you is this, what we do know, man, it's Jesus. It's worshiping at the feet of our Savior. And so, yeah, these these guys asked the wrong question. That's way, way wrong question. If you want to know about the resurrection, first of all, Sadducees, it's going to happen. Not only is Jesus going to rise, but the dead in Christ are going to rise one day, and we're going to all be in glory with him. So number one, the resurrection is real. And number two, all these details about this this brother, this sister, this whatever. Hey, listen, we're there with Jesus. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I've got so much to look forward to. By the way, I'm not going to argue with you about the end times. 
and about what you think this symbolizes and what this means. I'm not going to argue with anybody about that. If, you're, if you want to have a pastor that wants to argue, I am not going to do it. I can tell you this. I know that one day when this body resurrects or I'm taken, that I am in the presence of the Lord. And that's all I truly care about. I mean, hey, I can listen to people say, I think it's going to be this or I think it's going to be that. Awesome. That is great. Both of those are wonderful. I just know I'm going to be with Jesus. Frequently asked questions. You say, Josh, would you have preached this text if you were not committed to preaching through the book of Mark? Absolutely not. I would not have preached this text. But there's going to be a frequently asked question next Sunday. Next Sunday is also our family dedication. We're going to be dedicating uh, children to the Lord and families to the Lord. I think the text is going to be very applicable. If I could teach, this is a preview for next Sunday. If I could teach the next generation one thing, you know what it would be? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. And oh, by the way, your neighbors, those around you, love them. Love them. Love God. Love it. That's next Sunday. Frequently asked questions. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Even the difficult parts, even the parts that seem odd. God, I pray that you would give us wisdom as we navigate our authorities on human government here on this earth. I pray that you would give us a biblical narrative and a biblical lens with which to view the governing authorities around us. God, I pray that you would work on my heart in the, in the, in the areas and the ways that, in which I am failing in those areas. God, I pray that we keep you first. I pray that you would keep us from heresy. That you would help us to stand on the truths of your word, the proper truths. Jesus, we love you today. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at keystonerdu.church. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media and outreach ministries at Keystone, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Durham and around the world.